Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is O.J. Shabazz, and I am privileged to be the minister to the Harlem Church of Christ in New York City, New York. It is my good fortune this afternoon to invite you, or rather to welcome you, to this fifth installment in this multi-part series of lessons entitled The Revelation, Inspiration, and Illumination of the Word of God, Fact or Fiction. Every uh, segment of this multi-part series of lessons has been designed to respond to the question, is the Bible the Word of God? Can we in fact know that the Bible is the verbal, plenary, inerrant inspiration of the Word of God? Is that a fact or is it fiction? Is the Bible a book that's uh, made up of nothing more than myths and fables and exaggerations and uh, many other uh, embellished stories that man has produced? Or is it, in fact, a byproduct of the very mind of God? As you know by now, if you've been uh, watching the previous uh, Facebook Live videos, that I've taken the position that the Bible is unquestionably the verbal, plenary, inerrant inspiration of God. And in the previous videos, I've given you as detailed a definitional perspective uh, as I am able to do to describe what is meant by verbal, what is meant by plenary, what is meant by uh, inerrant, and what is meant by theonustia or inspiration. Today is the fifth installment in this multi-part series of lessons. Today, I'm a little bit out of my element in that I usually do these uh, Facebook Live messages from my home library. Today, we have a beautiful fellowship that is going on in the next room here at our uh, meeting house in New York City, New York, in the historic uh, borough of uh, Harlem. So should you hear a little bit of laughter and uh, enjoyment going on, uh, it's going to be because that fellowship is happening on the other side of my office uh, here uh, in the fellowship hall area of our building. I, I did want to take a moment today to continue with part five of this multi-part series of lessons. And today I want to talk about uh, the often asked questions, are all the books that God wants us to have in the Bible? And particularly today, I want to talk about why are not the apocryphal books included in uh, the English Bible that we have today? Uh, are not the apocryphal or apoc apocryphal books um, among those that should be included in the Bible? If not, why not? And so today, I want to talk about the apocryphal books. I don't know about you, but over the years... Uh, on many occasions, individuals have asked me, can you explain to me why the apocryphal books are not a part of the canon of the Old or the canon of the New Testament? So I wanted to take just a few moments to talk about the notion of uh, the apocryphal books. What about the apocryphal books? As you know, I like to always start with a strong definitional perspective. I believe that a consideration well-defined is in fact half-taught. And so I want to begin with a definitional perspective of apocrypha or apocryphal and what that means. The word apocrypha in the English is actually from a classical Kone Greek word 
that literally means hidden. Uh, it was used very early on in the sense of that which is secretive or concealed. The word apocrypha or apocryphal is also used in reference to a book whose origin was doubtful or unknown. Let me say that again. It came to be later known as a term which described uh, a book whose origin was doubtful or unknown. Eventually, the word took on the meaning of non-canonical or that which cannot be um, viewed as canon or sacred writing or uh, holy scripture. Thus, the designation apocryphal. Again, apocrypha or ap apocryphal is really that which is uh, concealed or secretive or that whose origin was doubtful and unknown and therefore to be apocryphal, apocryphal book or apocryphal books are those that um, are certainly non-canonical. So in, 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 in a very um, in a very sectarian view, I want to say to you that down through the years, there's come to bear this designation of uh, Catholic and Protestant. That's a whole nother uh, a study. I, I would really love it some future time to talk about the historical perspective of the apostate notion of Catholicism and um, the Protestant Reformation and so forth. That truly would take me up a different path altogether. However, I do want to bring to bear the notion of this view of Christianity being divided into Catholic and Protestant. And the reason why I raise that for the purposes of this particular um, uh, 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 presentation is that both the Catholic and Protestant, as it were, unanimously agree on all of the uh, books that are found in the New Testament Bible, but vastly differ when it comes to the books in the old canon. Uh, the Roman Catholics have included the 15 apocryphal books uh, into the uh, Catholic Bibles, whereas you don't find those 15 books included in the English translations of uh, the Old Testament scripture. So as I move forward, I want to bring to uh, bear the notion that when we talk about apocryphal books and why the apocryphal books are not in the Bible, we're really talking about the old canon apocryphal books. I think that there is a, uh, a pretty germane uh, agreement and understanding that many of the apocryphal books of the New Testament did not meet the test of canonization, cannot be viewed as canonical and have no place among other New Testament sacred writings. The controversy, for lack of a better term, has been uh, centered around the apocryphal, uh, apocryphal books uh, of the Old Testament, and, and there are 15 of them. Uh, if I were to give you a rapid list, I would tell you that the 15 apocryphal books are as follows. The first book of uh, Esdras, the second book of Esdras, the book of Tobat, the book of Judith, uh, the additions to the book of Esther, uh, the wisdom of Solomon, this is not um, relevant to, I mean, this is not concomitant or equal to uh, the other writings of Solomon that we find in the Old Testament, but there's one apocryphal that is referenced as the wisdom of Solomon. There is the Ecclesiasticus of, uh, or the wisdom of Jesus 
of the son of uh, Sherah. Uh, that's number seven. Number eight, the book of Barak. Number nine, the letter of Jeremiah, which uh, in uh, many instances constitute just the last chapter of the apocryphal book of uh, Baruch. Um, the prayer of uh, Azariah. Uh, the, uh, number 11 would be um, the apocryphal book of Susanna. Number 12 would be the book of Bell and Dragon. Number 13, the prayer of Manasseh. And the 14th and 15th would be the first book of Maccabees and the second book of Maccabees. Those 15 books are the 15 apocryphal books of the Old Testament that often come to bear when people say, why aren't these books in, in the Bible? Well, I want to begin, number one, I've given you a definitional perspective of what apocryphal means. Number two, I've told you what the 15 books are. The first book of Esther, the second book of Esther, the book of Tabat, Judith, the editions of the book of Esther, the, the, the wisdom of Solomon, the Ecclesiastes, sometimes called the wisdom of Jesus Christ, the son of, uh, of Sarah, uh, the book of Baruch, the letter of Jeremiah, and really the letter of Jeremiah really constitutes the last chapter of Baruch. The prayer of uh, Azariah, um, the apocryphal book of uh, Susanna, Bell and the Dragon, the prayer of Manasseh, first and second book of Maccabees. Those are the 15 books that often uh, are referenced as the apocryphal writings. But I want to give you today seven reasons why the apocryphal literature is not found as canon and why it is not in the Bible today. The first reason is that the books were never included in the Hebrew Torah, or rather the Hebrew canon of the Old Testament. Apocrypha were never received by any of the Jews as God-given scripture. And I think that that's a very critical and important premise. If the writings, um, if the individuals rather, to whom the writings were originally written did not regard it as sacred scripture, why then would we regard it as sacred scripture today. Let me say that again. The first reason I want to advance as to why the apocryphal books are not canonical and why they are not found in the Bible today is because they were never included in the Hebrew canon of the Old Testament. Apocrypha were never received by the Jews as God-given scripture. So if the individuals to whom the writings were initially written did not regard it as scripture, then upon what basis? Would we accept it as scripture today? The second thing I want to, uh, reason I want to suggest to you that the apocryphal books are not in the English Bible is that these books, as far as the evidence goes, were never accepted as canonical by Jesus Christ uh, and his apostles. If you look analytically throughout the books of the New Testament, the earthly ministry of Jesus found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then look at the epistles or the letters to the church in addition to the Acts of the Apostles, one would discover that in an untold number of instances, there are quotations that are taken from the moral majority of the Old Testament books. Never will you find at any time, at any place, a quotation uh, by Jesus or by the, any of the apostles that were extracted from one of the apocryphal books. And so it's evident that Jesus nor any of the apostles accepted any of these 15 apocryphal books as canonical. There's no reference to them. There's no quotations from them. Whereas 
um, there are quotations extracted from virtually every Old Testament book um, in the Bible as we know it today. Third of all, uh, the reason why these books have been rejected is because these books are not accepted as scripture by the first century Jewish writers. Um, men like Josephus and Origen and Jerome, and I've heard criticisms of these men, but one of the things that is certainly um, um, not uh, refutable is that these men live very, very close to the time of, of the apostles and certainly the early church. And uh, these men never identify any of the 15 apocryphal books or 15 apocryphal writings uh, as having been accepted by uh, them as uh, canonical or by uh, inspired uh, as inspired scripture. Fourth of all, these books do not evidence any intrinsic qualities of inspiration. And in my mind, I don't list these in an order of numerical importance, but, but certainly these books do not evidence any intrinsic, intrinsic qualities of inspiration. And I say that because the canonical, or rather the apocryphal books often contain historical and chronological and even geographical errors. And, and I mean, unquestionable errors, unquestionable and unchallengeable geographical and chronological and historical errors. And I know that there are those who are antithetical to the notion of Christianity and religion and will say, well, the Bible you have is filled with, with alleged contradictions and errors. And I want to underscore that the operative word is alleged. Whereas in these uh, apocryphal books, the 15 uh, that I've enumerated today, it's just replete with instances where there are historical, chronological, and geographical errors and contradictions. And so for that reason, uh, the fourth uh, reason why the apocryphal writings were rejected and not included in our Bibles as we have them today. These books have been shrouded over the years uh, with, with, with continual uncertainty. I mean, there are more questions to question their validity then there is evidence to attest to their credibility. And so for that fifth reason, I'm advancing the notion that it has down through the many, many, many years been rejected as canonical and therefore not found in the Bibles as we know, as we have them today. Sixth of all, these books cannot be maintained and contended for on the basis of, of, of compromise. And on many uh, instances, uh, the denominational institution, the Church of England, and the denominational institution, the Roman Catholicism, has often attempted to uh, argue for the, the validity of these books merely based on a spirit of compromise. Uh, there may be questions about them, but perhaps it is most expedient to include them. And so when you open a copy of a Catholic Bible, you'll find the apocryphal writings at the very back of the, uh, the Catholic Bibles. Seventh of all, I want to suggest to you that the apocryphal writings have been rejected as canonical books because uh, the, 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 the books, they are, they've been overruled by notion of a consistent pattern of not being able to meet one test of canonicity that's ever been known to man. Objections to these books cannot be overruled by dictatorial authority. It doesn't matter how many religious organizations come together and say that we're in authority. We think that 
the uh, apocryphal book should be included. And based on our authority, we're going to overrule any of other objections and we're going to include them. I want to suggest to you that such a thing happened at the Council of Trent, uh, April 8th, 1546, when the Roman Catholic Church came together and in the Council of Trent, they said, regardless of what anybody says, we are going to include the apocryphal books into the Catholic uh, Bible and did so based on papal authority. Well, let me suggest to you that regardless of what happened at the Council of Trent, April 8th, 1546, the apocryphal literature cannot be considered canonical or sacred writings just because some uh, authoritative dictator in Catholicism or for that matter, any other system of belief comes along and says, well, we believe that uh, we have a right to include them and we should include them. I, I want to suggest to you that uh, there's been very little controversy down through the years as to why uh, the apocryphal books were not added, even though this quibble, this concern, this consideration often arises among perhaps those who are less studied about these subjects than others, but among scholars and those that have analyzed uh, scriptures uh, down through the years are very clear that, first of all, when we start talking about apocryphal books, you're really talking about the controversy that surrounds Old Testament uh, apocryphal books and not so much that which uh, references the New Testament apocryphal books. By the way, before I go, let me say a word to you about, because there are New Testament apocryphal books, and I've not made a case of that today because there's so very little mention or concern or question, even uh, the Catholic, along with the Protestant religions, fairly unanimously agree about the rejecting of these uh, 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 these apocryphal books of the New Testament that have no place. The, these books include uh, uh, just a variety of, of literary types. Uh, some are gospels, some are acts, some are epistles, and some are apocalypses. Um, and uh, they're written often under assumed names of the apostles and, and, and others during the, somewhere about the second and century or later. That's when the moral majority of these apocryphal books come along. Uh, that is New Testament apocryphal books. Uh, they contain fallacious stories, fictitious stories about Jesus and the apostles. Um, and one's able to determine that when looking at the almost 24,000 manuscripts available today, in uh, the uh, classical Kone Greek, the, of course, we're talking about the Septuagint or the LXX. When you consider the fragments and parts, even uh, in the Latin Vulgate, uh, in the some 9,300 other languages across the world uh, where there are fragments or parts and then some holes of, 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 of sacred writings, when you compare them, you can see that these stories that are found in these apocryphal books certainly do not line up with a plethora of, of other strong sacred writing evidence. It, it just renders it as foolishness. Uh, the writings of the apostolic fathers now, uh, AD 80 to AD, uh, AD 180, should not be uh, classified as a New Testament apocrypha. Uh, I want to be clear, a lot of people, I've heard people get that confused. Well, 
the writings of the Apostolic Fathers that came around, you know, 80 to 180 AD are not their writings, apocryphal. Well, no, their writings never uh, claim to be inspired by God. They're nothing more than letters of edification and encouragement that were written by individuals who lived uh, the very closest to the uh, age of the apostles, and much of their data is looked upon as being historical data uh, because of the point in time in which they wrote and the evidences uh, of which they uh, bear testimony to. So in essence, what I've said today relative to uh, this question of why aren't these apocryphal books in the Bible? Because they're not, they're not canonical. Uh, canonical. Um, they have no place in Old Testament canon. They have New Testament apocrypha have no place in, in New Testament sacred writings because there simply is not enough to indicate that they were penned at the hands of men who were inspired by God. Ever since I first considered this subject many years ago, there is one fundamental fact that keeps resounding in my mind, and that is when it comes to looking at a book that is apocryphal and trying to determine, and I've given you the list of the 15 apocryphal books, trying to determine why those books couldn't be in the New Testament or in the Old Testament, just like the other books, if the individuals to whom those writings were originally written did not accept them as inspired by God, why would you? I think that's a simple question. Why would you debate and contend for something uh, against whom the members of the early church and even uh, beyond uh, those that were in Jewish covenant with God never looked upon those books as being inspired by God? What then would be one's motive for contending for its uh, canacity? I mean, why would you want to insist that they be viewed as canonical or or, or books of New Testament, Old Testament canon. It's, it's absolutely, absolutely ludicrous, uh, ladies and gentlemen. There's a lot more to be said about this, but I don't think it's rocket science. And I wanted to do this today because this question has come up over and over and over and over again. I did want to get the apocryphal books and the consideration of the apocryphal books out of the way today. And then uh, in the next uh, Facebook Live video, we'll begin to talk about what was the criteria for determining which books uh, scriptures came from God to be included in the Bibles and those that were not and what was the criteria and who decided it uh, what should go into the Bible and what should not all of this information I'm hoping will open the eyes of your understanding and lead us uh, into um, a, a greater affirmation in our belief in the Bible as the verbal plenary inerrant inspiration of the word of God Ladies and gentlemen, I, I can't find, I cannot find, and, and I've tried to study this as objectively as possible, I cannot find sensible, incredible reasons to not look upon the Bible as the verbal, plenary, inerrant inspiration of the Word of God. And I do want to assert again in this video, as I've done in, in previous, I elected to not spend week after week after week after week answering this alleged contradiction, uh, clearing up this alleged error, and uh, treating 
uh, challenges about the universality of the flood in the book of Genesis or whether it was a local flood or, you know, where Cain got his wife from or the many questions that have to do with uh, the, 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 the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil as opposed to chasing a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of cowtails. And, and running all, I've decided to go back to the premise. And the basis and the premise of all of this is the Bible, the Word of God. Either it is or it is not. If the Bible is the Word of God, if it constitutes the theonustia of God, if it is God-breathed, if God is the origin, the source of the Word, then it begins to give one a different perspective from which to view what others have um, raised as alleged contradictions or alleged um, errors to be found throughout uh, the Bible. Uh, I do believe that if the foundation is firm, then certainly it tends to change one's view relative to how we look at and how we pursue the notion of, um, of errors and alleged contradictions. I, I advanced to you last week I don't offer any apology for this. I'm not a top-down thinker. I'm a bottom-up thinker. A top-down thinker starts with a presupposition or a premise and then argues or look or, or researches their way down uh, to cognition. And by the time they get through the process of cognition, they've already found and identified only those things that they feel uh, support their premise. And so the fact of the matter is I am a bottom-up thinker. And as a result of being a bottom-up a thinker, I want to look at and build a strong foundation and premise, and then I want to look at every precise and concise piece of information as I work my way up to what is the ultimate conclusion. And so in doing that, you know, I'm considering the fact that uh, revelation, inspiration for our illumination is certainly critically important. Understanding uh, the place of oral tradition, oral transmission, textual trans, uh, uh, transmission, understanding uh, the, the, the numbers of, of manuscripts that are available to us to, today, understanding notions like what part apocryphal writings play into this, and I'm not speaking about the book of Revelation, but the 15 apocrypha or apocryphal books that I've enumerated in this uh, live message today. All of these intricated pieces go into confirming and building and strengthening one's confidence in the Bible as the verbal, plenary, inerrant inspiration of the Word of God. And there are many other notions that I intend to visit in coming weeks. We're going to look at the modern translations, uh, many of the uh, texts from, and, uh, from which, uh, manuscripts from which these translations were, um, were translated. Um, we're going to do some, some definitional research about the difference between translations, if any, and versions, um, looking at the modern translations and the modern versions. Uh, I had hoped to bring some material to show you again. I've apologized. I'm working out of my New York office today, and I usually do these videos out of my home office. Um, I wanted to show you a copy of even a King James translation from back in the 1500s, of which I'm blessed to have a copy of in my library, where some of the apocryphal books were placed in the very back of, of, of the, uh, not as a part of the books of the Bible, but uh, to, for viewing as, as apocryphal uh, literature and what the apocryphal uh, books were. 
um, that was, of course, changed. It's these intricate pieces of information that we're going to be surveying in, in the coming weeks. Well, I got to go, but I want to make some recommendations. Listen, a beautiful read. Pick yourself up a copy of How We Got the Bible. This is the second edition. There's also a first edition. I didn't bring that. Uh, it's by Neil Lightfoot. Excellent read. When I say an excellent read, I like books that are what I call easy reads. I don't like to have to read a book five times to get any understanding out of it. Uh, Neil Lightfoot's book on how we got the Bible is an, is an easy read, excellent information about apocryphal, liter apocryphal literature. I think that um, uh, you, you, you'll certainly uh, find this as a, um, a, a tremendous read. And I'll try to list these for you later. Also, let me highly recommend a book called uh, Theology of God's Sources. And this is an outstanding read uh, when you, one wants to uh, dig into the notion of the Apocrypha, uh, how we got different books of the Bible. Uh, Kimball Coney is the writer, uh, is the author of this. Excellent, excellent book. Get yourself a copy of the Apostolic Fathers by Lightfoot. And, uh, this, and forgive me, it's a little torn up. I read this book to death. I've read it over and over again. I use it for resource information and etc. cetera. Uh, it is um, an outstanding read, and it goes back and gives many uh, quotations from the Apostolic Fathers, and it gives you the sources from which those quotations came. Excellent read. It's called The Apostolic Fathers by uh, J.B. Lightfoot. If you want to know more about this subject I'm talking about today, excellent read. Again, I apologize for the condition of some of these books. I, I mentioned earlier that I did not want to get into chasing a cow path and talking about the notion of Catholicism and Protestant religion. Have you ever gone to the hospital, to an emergency room, or perhaps you were about to be admitted to the hospital, and the registrar comes in and says, um, are you Catholic or Protestant? Of course, I like, I know what they mean, but I, I just like to mess with their heads. And I say, I'm a Christian. And they say, yes, sir, but are you a Catholic Christian or are you a Protestant Christian? And then I say, I am a Christian. Well, what they mean is, is that Roman Catholicism, whom I refer to as the, the, the apostate of, uh, uh, the mother of all of apostate Christianity, um, nonetheless, views herself as the universal or uh, the Catholic Church. And anything else outside of that is a derivative from, in, in, their, in their view, um, all of the Protestant religions derived from Catholicism, which is absolutely positively preposterous and ridiculous. And the Church of Christ is not Catholic uh, in a sectarian sense. We are not Catholic and we are not Protestant nor have we ever been a part of the Protestant movement. Listen, do yourself a favor. Please, I'm not asking you, I'm begging you to buy a copy of this book. It is called Traces of the Kingdom, and Traces of the Kingdom was uh, written by Brother Keith Sisman. And unfortunately, Brother Sisman passed away just two years ago. I did a year-long study here at the Church of Christ in Harlem, where I started with the Church of Christ in AD 33 and followed it all the way up to the 1900s. And the tremendous resource for me was uh, Keith Sisman's book, 
traces of the kingdom. He traces evidence of the church of Christ all the way back to about 1055. And, and it's replete with uh, excuse me, valuable information. Often in the Harlem congregation where I preach, when I do Bible studies, um, I either buy books, the congregation buys books for the entire membership, or we have them uh, order the books and, and pay for them because I don't like to just study the Bible. I like to teach people how I reach these conclusions. And so I'm constantly having the congregation to order books that uh, aligns with the study that we're doing. And this book was one of the ones that we did congregationally. Traces of the Kingdom. Bless yourself. Read this. It, it is illuminative about uh, history of churches of Christ. It'll also help you dispel this notion that the Church of Christ was started by the Reformation movement under the Campbells in the United States of America. This book has crystal clear refutation against that and in fact shows the Church of Christ alive and well long before the Campbells ever came to the United States of America to start something called the Restoration Movement. So uh, those are just a few works. Again, um, let me go through them again. How We Got the Bible by Lightfoot. Get yourself a copy of it, man. It will bless you. Uh, the Apostolic Fathers by Lightfoot. Uh, excellent read. And uh, The Theology of God's Source. I love this book. Just replete with, with great information. And then last of all, I've talked about Traces of the Kingdom. Apocryphal, apocryphal literature, no place in the Bible. No supposition, no conjecture, no educating guest about it. The books are not canonical. I've given you the 15 books. I've given you a definition or perspective of Apocrypha. Don't trouble your soul. Um, we're not doing very good with the books we have, let alone uh, being worried about those we don't have. But certainly, um, the Apocryphal books have no canonical place in the Old or in the New Testament. Um, why are these books in the Bible? That's what we're talking about uh, today. And God willing, if the Lord wills, we'll see you next Saturday at 2, and I'll take a little more time. I'm getting ready to go back to this fellowship that's going on on the other side here in Harlem. We're having a great time enjoying brothers and sisters in the Lord, and uh, we're going to in, in, enjoy ourselves. Appreciate you so much. Your time is valuable. Please like this video. Uh, share it, please. I'm trying to get the information out. The revelation, inspiration, illumination of the word of God, fact or fiction. The word of God is fact. There is no fiction. It's not, no, they are not myths. They are not, it's not made up of fables. It is not a byproduct of humanistic ingenuity and wisdom. It comes from the theonustia of God. And if you go back and look at video one, I talk exclusively and in depth about theonustia uh, and, and the whole notion of verbal uh, plenary inerrant inspiration. God bless you. Uh, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you real good. We'll see you next week, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Revelation, inspiration, illumination uh, of the Word of God, fact or fiction. Why are these books in the Bible? See you next week. Thank you.